Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org, where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Karen R. Hi, everyone. My name is Karen. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Karen. I want to first thank Susan for asking me to come out and share. Um, You know, it doesn't matter how many times I get up here and I, I share my story. There's always still... I don't know you guys. I know a handful of you have seen you around the rooms, and um, it still gets a little nervous. So um, that's okay because God's going to share through me tonight, and I'm uh, I'm really grateful for that. Um, I'll start off by saying there are some physical evidence of what my disease looks like. I'm going to pass these around. You'll get to see um, my journey of going up and down and up and down and up and down because I have found. Um, I found I am addicted to the idea of building myself up to tear myself down, to build myself up to tear myself down. And uh, I recently did some writing on that. And um, and my sponsor reminds me that I don't have to, like, the idea that, like, I like the whole new, like, oh, i got to start over, i got to do this, like, I can, like, start my day over at any time kind of thing. This idea of, like, really being loose and gentle with myself as opposed to so black and white. And you'll hear a little bit about my black and white thinking in my story. Um, I'll share some of that. Because uh, I've been... I've been in program here at um, OA for almost two years, but it was not my first time of coming into program. I'm also, um, I came through the mothership program, and when I first started getting sober, I decided that I needed to go to OA because I had woken up in a, you know, blackout, on the phone having an uncomfortable uh, conversation, digging through the refrigerator, and I was like, well, that's a problem. And so I walked into Overeaters Anonymous probably in about 2002-2003. I went to the Sundowners meeting over at the Sherman Oaks Hospital, and I was at such a place in newly into recovery that I thought you guys were going to tell me what I could and couldn't eat, and that I would magically just it would be a diet and I would lose weight. So when I walked in the room and I saw people that were in my mind still overweight. That did not connect for someone like me. Like, I thought, I thought I was going to go in and there was going to be a bunch of beautiful skinny women, um, women and men, sorry, um, people in there, and that it was going to be this outline for me. And so I walked out of there going, there's no way I'm ever going to step back foot in this program. And, uh, and here I find myself, almost two years abstinent. So... I'll start off with a little bit of my history. Um, I don't know if you can tell I have a little bit of an accent. I can actually turn that up just a little bit if you need me to. It actually works to my advantage at times, especially I get pulled over by the cops. No, um, yes. I grew up in East Texas. My graduating class is sitting in this room tonight. 
a very small town in East Texas, about 54 people in my graduating class. Um, if you don't know anything about Texas, <laughs> we're really, it's a big state, we got really big hair, that has not changed for me. <laughs> we have big egos, that has changed a little bit for me, but we like, um, we like Jesus. Bible is a good thing. We love football. Sorry, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. Hope I don't offend anybody. And um, we love beer too. So that's the mothership program. But the other thing is, is that we we also like to eat. And we got some good food in Texas. Let me tell you, if you ain't been to you know have some barbecue in East Texas, man, you missing out right there. But um, I grew up in a small town. My mother and father were in their late 30s and 40s by the time I came around. My brother and sister were 13 and 14 years older than me. I'm proof that a condom does not always work. And that is the God honest truth. And the reason I say that is because (laughs) I was a mistake. And I've spent my whole life thinking I was a mistake. I was... I've spent my whole life proving that I didn't belong here and that I didn't belong with you and I didn't belong in this world and um, that I shouldn't be here. My mother, when I was three weeks old, found out she had a brain tumor, had it removed. When I was four years old, they found the second brain tumor. They tried to remove it. They were not able to move it. Um, She had radiation treatments and got radiation poisoning. Now, I'd like to say that all of that made me to be the person that I am today, which is, you know, basically someone who will latch onto anything and use it to fix her. I have a lot of solutions in this world. Food, by by far, was my first. And I can remember sitting in front of the TV when I was about six or seven years old, eating a whole bowl of oranges for no other reason than I was uncomfortable. I don't know why, I just was uncomfortable. The uh, radiation treatment and the two brain tumors had caused my mom to lose some of her senses. So she was completely blind in her left eye and almost 95% blind in her right eye. She lost her sense of smell, and when you lose your sense of smell, you lose your sense of taste. So all you can really taste is salt, sugar, and vinegar. So guess which one that she hung on to? She loved sugar. And so as a result, we had all sorts of candies, and um, we used to have these things called slow pokes, which were caramel suckers that were like this long. And she would buy them in bulk, by boxes. We had rock candy sitting out in our house at all times. Like, it was a constant sugar thing for me. And, uh, you know, I grew up on a lake in East Texas. It was fun, atmosphere. You know, I really didn't have that bad of a childhood. Um, But I know that I was miserable. And had you told me, when I came in here, had you asked me, were you a fat child? I would have said, absolutely. I was a fat child. I always remember being bigger than everybody else. I always remember being uncomfortable. You know, I was the girl with the thick legs or whatever. And, um, and if you saw a couple of pictures in my, my album, I wasn't. Mm-hmm. 
you know, my recollection, my perception was that. And what I have come to find out in recovery is that I have a disease of perception. What I believe to be true is not always the case. Actually, it's almost never the case. Right? I need others to reflect back in me what I can't see in myself. You guys are mirrors for me tonight. So, I... um. My parents divorced. My dad married my steps. My my aunt, my cousins became my stepsisters. It's kind of a long story, but that's how we do it back in East Texas. <laughs> and um, it's not as incestuous as it sounds, but it is still strange. And um, I remember food was always a part of our house. You know, we we had we had these fish fries. We had these parties. You know. Where I come from, like, you have a feeling and people are bringing you casserole dishes. You know, I went, I grew up a Southern Baptist. We got fellowship after Sunday and before Sunday night and after Sunday night and then Wednesday. And forget if you have a revival because then every single night you got a potluck going on. And, uh, and we also like a lot of saucy food, at least I did. And my dad, when I was about 15 or 16, started making comments about the way that I looked. And these aren't like, you know, oh, you need to just watch out what you're eating, that kind of stuff. Like, these were like comments. One night, I remember him, I came home, and I'd seen some really cute guys at the Walmart. (laughs) Dreamy, I tell you. Um, I'd seen some guys at the Walmart I thought were cute, and I couldn't find my something and he goes why didn't you ask them and I said I couldn't ask them he goes well they would have looked at your face and saw how beautiful you were but looked down and saw how fat you were and they wouldn't have wanted to talk to you and so that's just one of the comments of many that I got from my dad and so I'd like to say that I was kind of the person that would say forget it I'm going to show you and I'm going to become an anorexic or bulimic and lose, never eat, and do all of that. But I was the actually opposite. I fed everything. And what I found out is that, like I said, I was a lot of solutions. And um, I have a disease distraction. When I feel something like that or when, I, when something like that happens to me, I automatically want to distract myself so that I'm not in that moment. Now... A plate of food is a really good distraction for me on any given day. But I can also get distracted nowadays. I can get distracted on my phone. I can flip through a magazine. I can scroll through the Internet. I can clean my house. I'm really good if I'm pissed off. My house is sparkling clean. So I have a disease of distraction. And so, you know, when I graduated high school, I was about 150 pounds. And I was supposed to go to, a, to Texas A&M University to become a mechanical engineer. And uh, I grew up in a town of 2,000 people, and how would I go to a school of 46,000 students? And I had a ton of fear, and so I ended up going to a little local junior college, and I, you know, at that point, some other things had come into my life. That's when I started drinking, and, and I lost all of that. I lost a full scholarship to that college as a result of my addictions. And I ended up in Texas, in Dallas, and um, I moved to the big city, And uh, my life took off. And what I mean by that is that I just started happening left and right. I started making really bad decisions based on really bad feelings. And everything 
I thought was working together when actually everything was falling apart. You know, I would do what I did in my, with my other addictions and I'd wake up the next morning and I would, I would absolutely hate myself and I would go and I would binge and I would binge and I liked greasy food. That's always what helped me and um, Mexican food in, in particular. And, um, and at one point, you'll see in the pictures, I got all the way up to 265 pounds. I, um, my first year out of high school, I, instead of the freshman 10, I got the freshman 40. Um, I remember dating a guy that year. I was really, he's cute. He's a drum major. I was a band geek, by the way. I forgot to tell you that. I used to play the trombone. It's um, a really feminine instrument. <laughs> and... Uh, I also sucked my thumb until I was 10 years old, so I had really buck teeth and um, braces. And uh, some of the ladies, I know we got some young people here, but some of the ladies may remember Sunian, which was basically peroxide and lemon that you used to put in your hair and turn your hair orange. So I had that thing going on too. <laughs> but anyway, I was dating, going back to the drum major that was really hot. He stopped dating me because I was fat, and all of his friends didn't understand why I would date a fat chick. And uh, fat being the same size I am today, by the way. Let's just be clear. And, um, you know, that's when it started. That's when the I'd go up and then I'd go down. And I would go up and I would go down. And some of the ways I would do that is through some of my other addictions. One of the things I uh, did was I took Rip Fuel. If you don't know what Rip Fuel is, it's a Fedra. Is back when ephedra was actually legal. The recommended dosage is two pills a day, and I was taking 15 or 20 a day. A um, little bit surprised that I'm actually still standing and I never had a heart attack. My daily um, eating habit at that point was the 20 pills and a box of pastaroni. Um, I was working three jobs at one point to, um, to try to survive. And I was literally going from job to job and uh, just trying to, to get out of myself. You know, I, the minute I'd sit still anywhere, I'd get so uncomfortable that I'd have to go to, and find the next job or the next place to live or the next him or the next whatever. And uh, what ended up happening, you know, in that time is, you know, I'd always get on these, I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to do this. And then... One night, I was at a, um, at a bar, and when I say a bar, it was a Bennigan's, which is like a Chili's, and I met him. He walked in, and five minutes later, she walked in, his girlfriend, and I said, you get rid of her, you call me, and we're going to live happily ever after. Two days later, he called me, and that's what we were going to do, and uh, I ended up marrying that man um, for no other reason than I didn't know how not to marry him, because 10 months before we got married... Our relationship, our relationship turned very violent and very volatile very quickly. And um, I remember him talking to me about the way that I behaved and the way that I, you know, the way that I ate, the way that I, I always was trying to get out of myself. And um, I thought he was crazy. You know, and then I started believing him. So I went to a therapist and I'm like, he's crazy, right? And trying to figure out what was wrong with me and what, what was wrong with Karen. Why does she behave the way that she behaves? And I, and I couldn't get it. 
And so, um, like I said, for no other reason than I didn't know how not to get married, I got married to him. And a month later, we drove um, in a 26-foot truck, basically, towing our vehicle. And we moved out here to the big city of Los Angeles because he wanted to be an aspiring actor. And um, little did I know that that move was going to change the rest of my life. A year later is when I ended up um, in the mothership. And... Uh, took me a couple of years to get that down. And like I said, I, uh, I went to that meeting and I walked out because I was at a place where it was either this way or this way. There was no gray area for me. I saw things with blinders on. I'm an extremist. It talks about that in the, um, in the big book. I'm either all or nothing. And at that point in my life, I needed something that was very clear-cut for me. And I came in judgmental, and I walked out pissed off because I didn't understand. I was so close-minded that I could not hear the recovery that you guys were talking about. And I swore again, like I said, I'd never walk into Overeaters Anonymous again. And I held that for another until 2017. So what happened between that time and 2017? A lot happened. Like I said, I got sober, right? Life got good. I started changing. I, I, you know, I was doing things in the other program. And then I, something happened and I ended up in therapy one day and over something that happened um, with my family. And I remember talking to my therapist, and he goes, you're really sick, and I think you should probably go into in, uh, an inpatient treatment center in Arizona for your food problems. And I was like, what? Like, what are you talking about? He goes, no, he goes, you need help in this area. And I was not at a place in my life that I could do that. And so he goes, why don't you go and find a, a program for that? And I did. I went to another food program. And I got a sponsor, and I started doing what they had asked me to do. And this program was very black and white. It told me what I could and couldn't eat, which is exactly what I needed at that point. And I lost the weight. How awesome. I lost like 50 or 60 pounds. I think it was 51 pounds in like six months. Started looking good. Got this going on. I, I know how to do this, right? Well, then life happens. See, I didn't get the part of the program where you rely on God and not on yourself. And so I ate, like I always do. And the next thing you know, I'm back, going back up, going back up. In this time period, and I have to tell this story because it's, it's funny, but it's not funny. So around this time period, I meet this guy. And again, he's kind of like the drum major. He is hot. He lived south of the boulevard in this house, hunky guy, would never want to date someone like me. And um, I fell for him, but he didn't want to go out in public with me. And that was okay. I understood that. I'm, you know, being the self-loather I am, I get it. So... I sacrificed what I wanted, what I 
know now that I wanted for something material. Because he told me, he goes, now let's make a deal. You get down to 150 pounds. I'm going to give you the ring. I'm going to give you the house. I'm going to give you me. I'm going to give you a trip to Costa Rica. I'm going to give you a new set of that. I'm going to give you, because um, you're probably going to need that if you lose that much weight, and um, a whole new wardrobe. You have a bank account, you'll be taken care of. All you got to do is lose the weight and get down to 150 pounds. I was about 230, 240 at this point. I was like, it is on. Now, what I should tell you is that my dad had just died at this point, and I had been given a small chunk of change little bit of inheritance that probably would have been smart if I just stuck it in the bank, let it build and build and build and have it for my retirement, right? That'd be the smart thing. I do accounting by trade. I know these things. Nope. I quit my job. I lived off of the, the, um, the money. I hired a personal trainer. My day consisted, it started at 5 o'clock in the morning, and I would go to boot camp for an hour. I would go to Runyon Canyon, and I would hike for three to four hours. Not the easy part, the hard part. I'd leave there, I'd go to the personal trainer for an hour. I'd go work for him at his business for cash, so I had at least some cash coming in. I would eat barely not anything, and then I'd go back in the gym in the afternoon. All so I could have that to get this, to get that, so that I could be enough and feel like I belonged here and that I wasn't a mistake and that I wasn't an accident and I, and, and, and I could feel worthy of the love that was being given to me. So I didn't get down to the 150 pounds. I got down to the about 178, 79 pounds. I had, a, had, like, abs. You can be that big and still have abs. It's kind of funny. Not that, that that's big, but... And I had just enough in me where I was like, I can't do this. Because he said, I had to go back to work, and he's like, if you go back to, if you don't go back to work, I'll pay for everything for you. You can move in here, but now you got to start taking my direction. And I will say, there was a part of me that considered it. But there was just enough in me where I knew that I loved myself much more than that. And I knew I deserved more. And so I walked away. But don't think that I didn't pick up a plate of food shortly thereafter. Because I was right up the scale again. One more time. Life has happened. Poor pitiful me. Don't you know? And I'm going to show them. But I show them and I go the opposite way. I don't show them and go down. So, up and down, up and down, up and down, in and out, in and out, in and out. I'm going to do it with going to meetings. I'm going to do it just with the food program. And uh, and then I met him, another him, and this him I'm actually still together with. This him actually thinks I'm too skinny right now, which is kind of funny. <laughs> Different situation. It doesn't matter what he thinks, because I'm at a different place in my own recovery now. But what happened is that um, a couple of years ago, actually about five years ago, my life was falling apart in the sense that I had put a lot of things 
in front of God. Now, had you told me I had a relationship with God, I would have said yes, absolutely. But the truth is, is that I had a lot of higher powers in my life. I had, I had a sponsor that I worshipped and adored, and she said jump. Um, that's what I did. So much so that if it, it, if it went against what I really believed God wanted for me, I didn't care. I'd still do what she said because I couldn't trust myself and I couldn't trust my relationship with God. My boyfriend had become my higher power. My job had become my higher power. Don't you know? This is what I do. This is who I know. La, 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 la. And I was dying. I was dying. For the better part of three years, I wanted to kill myself. I remember saying out loud every single day, I want to kill myself. I want to die. I don't want to be here. What do I do? And luckily enough, I, um, I knew... My feet were trained, and I just kept doing what I knew how to do. And two years ago, a little over two years ago, I got into a breaking point, and I said, I, I give up. I'm going to throw it all up in the air, and I'm going to see where it lands. And I have no idea what that's going to look like. And that was March of 2017. And when I say I threw it all up, I mean I threw it all up. I moved out from my boyfriend's. I left the sponsor. I left the home group and the other program. I started going to the second program, the one for the relationships, and um, when I did all of this, I didn't have any safety net. I didn't have anything. Like, I walked away from everything, and it was the best thing I ever did for myself because not having a safety net meant that I had to trust God. I had to trust God, and in trusting God... I learned how to trust myself, and I built a relationship with God in that time that I felt certain. I knew who I was. I knew I knew I could do this, and I'd like to say that whenever I came into OA that summer, which was four months later, that I came because I had some revelation that I needed to be in OA and that I was done. I knew I needed to be done. I kept eating. I was exercising. I was doing everything that I thought should be going down the scale, but I'm going up the scale. It didn't make any sense. And one of my friends was like, I'll go to your meeting if you'll go to my meeting. And it was as simple as that. And I walked into the Saturday morning 730 Barbank meeting, and this uh, sweet, sweet lady energetic, anorexic lady walked up to me. She was a newcomer caller and she's like, I'm going to call you. And she called me. She's like, I'm going to get you abstinent or help you get abstinent. And I was like, really, God? Like, anorexic? I don't, under- seriously. Like, But remember, I told you I had this relationship with God and I had this faith in God that I'd never had before. So I trusted that this is what was supposed to happen. This was the person that was supposed to carry the message to me in that moment. And I said, okay, what do you want me to do? She told me what she wanted me to do. We started doing it. And about a week later, she goes, okay. She goes, I, I, I found out that I think there's this lady you need to, to work with, and I'm going to put you in contact with her. And she's multiple, um, multiple addictions, multiple programs, and so, probably somebody you can relate to. And I called this lady. I didn't know who she was. I knew her name and her phone number. I'd never seen her in my entire life. And I called her, and I said, I'm supposed to call you, and I'm supposed to meet you because I've been told that you would probably be a really good sponsor for me. And she told me where she was going to be on Friday, and they showed up, and I keep 
showing up ever since. The lowest weight I got in abstinence was 168, which I've never been since I was like 16 years old. And I've gone back up a little bit. And I'm okay with that because I realize that that is not what any of this is about. What I've learned in Overeaters Anonymous is that it's the love, the self-love, the acceptance of myself today that you guys have taught me. I always kept looking for those outside things to fix me. The next pair of shoes, the next man, the next job, the next, you know, whatever. Like I said, I have a disease of distraction. I don't want to feel. I had a really tough conversation when I was about four months abstinent with my sponsor one night. And she goes, I want you to sit on your couch and I don't want you to do one thing for 30 minutes. I want you to sit in what we just talked about and that's it. Oh, don't you know. Sitting there on the, the couch, got my hands underneath my, my legs, staring at the wall, looking at my phone going, I'd really like to pick that up. There's a magazine. Oh, there's dishes to be. But I sat with it for 30 minutes. I did what she asked of me. And guess what? I didn't die. <laughs> I didn't die. That was a huge lesson for me. To know that I can actually sit in the uncomfortability is that a word? The uncomfortableness and be okay. I didn't know how to do that. Definitely didn't know how to do that. It's still trouble for me on any given day today. You know, I am... Um, my recovery is dependent on the work that I do every single day. I don't do it perfectly by any stretch of the imagination. Um... I make outreach calls. I do writing. Writing's probably the biggest tool that I have. I just read seven and a half pages of writing to my sponsor today. I think she fell asleep, but um, <laughs> it's healing. Um, I've got a sponsor. I sponsor. I work the steps. I go to meetings. I have commitments at those meetings. I move my body on a regular basis. I used to call it exercise. <laughs> I've had to change that because for me, I look at it as mind, body, spirit, and all of that's connected for me. For me to move my body puts me in a good spiritual place. I, um, I was on a pink cloud for a long time, and then again, life happened, and guess what? still wearing the same pants that I was wearing a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. I had to go buy a bunch of new clothes because I had a feeling. <laughs> there was always a feeling. And it's really only one feeling, people. We say that there's a lot of feelings, but there's only really one feeling for me. I don't know about you, but it's all fear. Fear of what you think of me. Fear that I'm going to lose what I have. Fear that I'm not enough, that I'm an accident, that I'm not pretty enough, witty enough, all that good stuff. Fear, 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 fear. So I can 
F everything and run, or I can face everything and recover. Today I choose to face everything and recover, even when I don't want to. The hardest part about all of this has been for me, and I'll close with this. Because of the stuff that I told you I was going through a few years ago, I've been really slow because I, um, I'm a really big people pleaser. I use, you know, whatever you think of me, whatever you say is best, I will do. And what I've learned about that is I do that because then I don't have to be responsible if it all goes down the hill, right? I can blame you. I can blame others. I can be the victim and the martyr. And so the, the hardest part of this for me is building friendships and building relationships here in this, this fellowship. And that has required a lot of vulnerability on my part in order to do so. Now, I don't want to show you guys who I am. It's the reason why I ate. It was really easy to hide behind 240 pounds, right? But even if I get 170 pounds, being vulnerable is still scary to me. Because if I show you who I am, you may not like me. And then what does that mean? That I'm not worthy enough and I shouldn't be here and I'm an accident. All of those things. And so... I heard this the other day, and someone said, the difference between illness and wellness is that the I has changed to we. Mm -hmm. And when I heard that, I was like, oh my God, it's a we program. How many times have I heard that? It's a we program. But I heard it differently that day, and we hear it when we hear it. And I'll probably forget it, and then I'll hear it again, and I'll be, oh my God, the I and the we. And the <laughs> Spiritual awakenings, garden variety. <sighs> so for the newcomers that are here tonight, before I close, I want you to know that, you know, the part about the Overeaters Anonymous that I love so much is that, you know, there's, we, how can I say this? We're a collective, but everybody's path is just a little bit differently around here. What works for me may, may not work for you. As long as we are abstaining from compulsive overeating and eating behaviors, then we all have a seat here, right? Or even if we just have a desire to do that, right? We all have a seat here. The message that I've carried tonight has been my message, my experience. doesn't mean that it's that of Overeaters Anonymous. And if you didn't hear what you needed to hear tonight, go to another meeting. Maybe you'll hear a thought of action, an eating situation that you relate to. But the important thing is, is just to keep coming back. So thank you for allowing me to be a servant.